Hello, and welcome to the Realm of Unknown. I am your host, Shane, and this is kind of new. I'm kind of switching up formats for this before. I've technically tried this, so if anyone has actually seen me on Anchor before, uh, I am the same guy, and (laughs) things just didn't really work out, so I'm rebooting this, sort of, soft booting it. And if anyone who's new to this podcast, this is weird saying that because I'm used to a different format, uh, this is the first episode, technically. And I kind of want to bring it back to some roots uh, with my YouTube channel uh, with a similar name. And for those, again, if you don't know, I do paranormal, supernatural, true crime, mysterious, conspiracies, all that sort of fun jazz that's kind of unknown (laughs) in our world. And I just try to bring as much information as I can to you. Now, I am in no sense a professional, both in the podcasting format or just entertainment format in general, but I try my best. These topics definitely interest me, and now I'm trying a second attempt, and this one, I'm really just hitting the ground running and trying to pump out as many as I can. So for you guys, I, again, am bringing it back to my roots. I am doing a similar topic to my channel. I believe, I believe it was one of, if not one of my first, and this is Temple University. Now, today's going to be a ghost story, technically, and today's also going to be a little special because I myself am a Temple University student. I am currently in my senior year of the Graphic and Interactive Arts program, so if anyone is from there and you want to give me a shout go for it i will very awkwardly wave hi if i don't know you and if i do know you i will be even more embarrassed because you are listening to this okay now for anyone who doesn't know what temple university is or what i'm talking about at all temple university is a public college located in north philadelphia and it was founded by uh baptist russell conwell back in 1884 it's actually kind of funny because in 1882 conwell was leading a church and he used to tutor people back then and uh it was always super super late because it wasn't on the actual church's schedule it was more on like a different work schedule to accommodate for everyone else the students were later dubbed the night owls and that was actually the transition and eventual naming of the university's mascot the temple owls so that's kind of a neat little fact of how we kind of got our start and so the school technically didn't become a university until 1907 when the institute kind of reverted into the corporation that is known as university and temple university today. So it took a while for that to kind of happen, but its founding was back in 1884, and around that time period, it was kind of just a school. But yeah, that's the short little history. Nothing too too significant, I suppose, because it's, I mean, it's a college, you know how those sort of things happen, you know, a general idea of what a college is. But this one is a little true to my heart because it, again, is my college of choice. Well, it was my only college of choice, so, you know. <laughs> but it does have a long history, and that history does technically involve some less than savory facts and some uh, potentially haunted locations in and around campus itself. I'm not going to go into detail about every single one, but I am going to talk about a few that I have either heard of or I've found in research or I've uh, had someone else in the university tell me and I found them interesting, so I'm going to read them off to you guys. So a little bit of backstory again. In 1956, the university actually purchased the land known as Monument Cemetery. They purchased it and they were turning it into a parking lot and athletic fields. You can actually go there today. The fields are still there. And by June of that year, the university broke ground and removed 
approximately 28,000 bodies from Monument Cemetery. The bodies were then reinterred in the Landview Cemetery at 500 Huntington Park in Montgomery County. So about 300 of these 28,000 bodies were buried in their original tombstones because you know, family members were able to locate them and stuff. However, though, the rest of the tombstones and headstones and stuff and other uh, decorative stonework from the cemetery, including some really amazing Victorian sculptures, uh, they were just simply dumped into the Delaware River near the Philadelphia side of the Betsy Ross Bridge. These uh, extra stones were actually being used to strengthen the shoreline under the bridge due to erosion. So that I mean that's great and all, but it is kind of kind of upsetting that they disturbed so many graves. That many bodies weren't able to you know get their original tombstones back. So if anyone believes in this sort of stuff, believes in the paranormal, that's I guess a good cause for uh, disturbing a grave <laughs> and uh, upsetting someone's resting spot. So it's 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 significant. Now moving on, during the outbreak of World War II, the Red Cross actually used the rooms in what is now Mitten Hall for simple procedures such as just bandaging as well as producing clothes for soldiers. According to WRTI, the auditorium in Mitten is also used as barracks for soldiers who were doing some training both in the medical and dental fields. Keep in mind that Temple University has been around for a very long time like I mentioned before and it has and is still a prominent university and institution within the city of Philadelphia. But the university itself and the area surrounding it has also faced a lot of violence and tragedy, unfortunately. And because of that, a lot of deaths have taken place with and around the campus uh, throughout the years. I'm not going to go into too many details about that, mainly out of respect due to, unfortunately, a lot of these events still occurring today. Plus, from my own research and uh, my own understanding, not a whole lot of these events tie into any of the paranormal activity around campus, but I just wanted you to keep that in mind that it is a very old city and it's a very, very old campus, so there's going to be a lot of that sort of energy and kind of vibe going around right now, because, you know, it's Philly. Philly's very, very old, as you might know. I don't know. Some people don't know Philly that well. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to move on to the first ghost story that we have. Very new to this format again, so I'm trying to structure this in a way that you guys might understand or enjoy. If not, just let me know. I, again, first try. So the first one I want to talk about is a woman known as Gertrude Peabody, and Gertrude was a former dean of women, and Peabody Hall was actually dedicated to her in 1958. Now, Gertrude died at the age of 84 on March 30th, 1979, but sightings and rumors tied to the elevator and lobby area of Peabody Hall relate back to her spirit being seen. Rumor has it that Gertrude is not fond of male students living in Peabody Hall due to the dorm originally being an all-female one during her time at the university, but as of last year, Sadly, Peabody Hall has been torn down and a small green space now sits in the corner of Norris and Broad Street. So I actually lived in Peabody Hall my freshman year, and I will say that it is one of the older buildings on campus. I believe, I believe, don't quote me on this, that it is actually one of the original and that uh, Russell Conwell and his wife Sarah actually lived in that building and it was used more so for just just for more like mandatorial purposes it wasn't a dorm originally 
from what I remember, I could be completely wrong on this, but from what my memory serves me is that it was used for other purposes. Later on, it became an all-female dorm, and then later later on, it became a more co-ed dorm, which is what I lived in back in 2015. So when I was there, I actually didn't know about this story until a fellow student, a fellow male student, actually, brought it up during a uh, hall meeting, which if anyone's in college or has been in college knows, if you're in the dorms, you sometimes get hall meetings from your uh, RAs. But during that hall meeting, we were just talking and then he like raised his hand up and he was just like, well, what about Gertrude? And I was just like, what? And at this time, I was very much into the paranormal and I had no idea about this. So apparently... Gertrude is actually more or less just kind of like an urban legend in the area or I guess like spook that upper grads or whatever or like older siblings tell their younger siblings who are moving in to this hall but the story goes like I said that uh, Gertrude is not very fond of male students in the dorms those are the ones that she particularly picks on her figure is seen in the elevator if she's seen like standing behind you or next to you after you board it, I believe. She's also seen like wandering around the lobby area. So here's some deviation from that. Again, Peabody Hall is not there. So any up and coming freshmen to Temple University, sadly, you're not going to be able to even test out this theory. Second, uh, actually a little side note for the elevator. I don't know how that would work because the elevator itself is very much only the size of like one and a half people you have to stand like shoulder to shoulder to the door to really fit more than one it is very small so she's she's like on you if she's in the elevator but little side note too uh gertrude technically didn't die in the building she died back in her hometown in maine i believe about like 30 or so years after retiring from temple so from my own knowledge i don't really see as to why she would be haunting Peabody Hall, especially since she was a dean of women's, and I believe she had some relation to the dorms, but she didn't have, like, strong, strong ties. So I don't understand how these rumors kind of started. I, I can kind of get it because, you know, she's na- the, the hall is named after her, so perhaps there's something in there. Who knows? Ultimately, I didn't feel anything when I was there. No one I talked to felt anything. I've had many friends and other, like, colleagues and stuff who lived in that dorm and they said like yeah no nothing's really here it's just kind of like a story that people pass around now it is a very creepy dorm when it was there it's it's very like decrepit in a way it's it's not it wasn't falling apart but it was very you know it had that vibe of just like this is old they just tried to make it something new it's kind of gross but you know it, it, it it is what it is all right so moving along i'm going to actually talk about uh sarah conwell Uh, Russell Conwell's late wife. Now in 1910, Russell Conwell's wife, Sarah, sadly passed away. She was laid to rest what is now the non-existing Monument Cemetery, as we talked about earlier, located on Norris Street between Broad and 17th. Now, Russell Conwell, who lived on North Park Avenue, actually recalled seeing his wife's spirit three years after her death. Russell Conwell was so convinced of this apparition being his wife, Sarah, that he actually recounted the story in The Baptist, a sectarian publication, despite disapproval from his Christian friends. So, people were actually telling him, like, no, this is nothing, you're you're just seeing things. And uh, he was very adamant that this is his wife, and so he even published it. 
and I actually have a quote from it right here. It says, three years after the death of my wife, I began to see a form sitting on the side of my bed at the foot every morning when I woke up. Russell Conroy wrote, I at first attributed it to some effort of overwork on my eyesight, but after several weeks, it grew so like my wife as I consulted two physicians who reasonably said that if I would work less, the visions would disappear. So later on, Russell Conwell continued to recount how his wife actually helped him find his army discharge papers that he had lost about 25 years earlier. She actually appeared one more time after that instance, but sadly he never actually saw her apparition afterwards. And then since 1913, no sightings of Sarah Conwell's spirit have ever been reported. So that ghost spirit, whatever you might might call it, is very much directly tied to Russell himself. From what I can tell, I don't believe anyone else actually saw her. I do remember reading somewhere that potentially a maid or like a housekeeper had some relation to one of Russell's sightings, but I don't believe she actually saw it. From what I can tell, I from what I can remember, I should say, Russell, like, told her to hide something, and Sarah, like, would hide it. Or, or, or he told the maid to hide it, sorry. Sarah, at night, would, like, tell him where it is, and then the next morning he would find it and show the maid and be like, like, here, see, I told you she's real. And I believe that was, from what I can remember reading, too, uh, a reason why she didn't come back is because he kind of, like, had to have proof that she's there. She just kind of was there for him. She wasn't there for everyone else. So she just kind of, like, moved on so to speak but this is a good segue into russell conwell (laughs) so russell conwell uh was again the founder of temple university and he died in 1925 about 15 years after his late wife and he was actually buried next to his wife in monument cemetery however in 1968 the university as i said actually dug up all the graves but they did move both the conwells to their current resting place in founder's garden now i believe renamed o'connor's garden but most people just keep calling it founders on leah cores and paulette walk after the movement of their graves rumors and sightings relating to russell conwell began to surface now it's nothing too serious and nothing all that credible but apparently in and around founders garden russell conwell can be seen walking and pacing around the grounds by students, by bystanders, teachers, staff, all walking nearby during the late hours of the night. Now this is interesting because Founders Garden isn't that big. It's very much just a small little square section within the middle of campus. And uh, Leocor's Walk and Paulette Walk, they're very, very busy little intersections. And very much into the late night, you'll have people walking there. So I can understand why people might like see things there's people out and about all the time and this was before i actually moved there because they've been doing renovations they've been remodeling most of campus but before founders garden had a lot of trees and now it's a little more open there's still a lot of vegetation around it but the vegetation from the angle in which i'm assuming people saw things uh because there's a building on the south end of it the other angles all have exposure now the exposure and the, the vegetation is much more low into the ground so you can very much see into it a lot easier before they had trees they had like bushes and stuff that would kind of obscure your vision a little bit so from what i can understand people may or may not have just been seeing people walk there and there was about two or three exits from the the location that 
if you saw someone just walking and you went down to investigate, they may have already just been gone because it's very easy to just to like walk out and just turn and be behind a building because there's so many on campus. So I don't know about this one. I personally haven't seen anything. I know people talk about it and their bodies, both Sarah and Russell, are technically still there. They're buried behind the statue of Russell Conwell's head, I believe, either either behind it or in front of it or under it. They're in that little section. It's the uh, the northwest corner of the of the square. If anyone listening to this or is on campus wants to go see it, it's that little area. And from what I can tell, the only major thing I've noticed that people do there is uh, go to the statue and pray before a football game. They just go and they just kind of like, I guess, ask for a blessing from Russell Conwell for a, for a win. And uh, it happens sometimes, <laughs> but I haven't heard any like stories or anything from people on campus or people who have been there for a while or just ex-students about anything happening on the grounds of Founders Garden. This kind of, again, seems more along the lines of uh, the Gertrude sighting, but that, again, perfectly fine. Someone might see something. I don't know. Again, it's Philly. It's a public campus, so you might just be seeing a person. Now, moving along is a spirit that is actually dubbed Liz. I don't believe anyone actually knows what her true, true name is, but going back to the World War II relation and the Red Cross setting up in Mitten Hall, Ben Roth, uh, the treasurer of Tea Lights, a paranormal society group on main campus, said during a 2011 interview that he and the group believe they came in contact with a six-year-old spirit by the name of Liz. This is a quote from Ross himself. It says, we believe she said that she was sick or that her parents had worked there. So this is actually like a quote from an article uh, from, from a, I believe, a student article interviewing Ross himself. Both Ross and his fellow Tea Lights members used a Ouija board to contact Liz elsewhere during the second investigation. Although the specific group no longer exists, it kind of like disbanded and uh, reformed into a new club slash group. And from what I can understand, all of the original members have already been, they've graduated, they've moved on. Uh, so anything involving that second investigation, I cannot find anywhere. So I cannot tell you if they reached out to her again or if they got a second message. But from from what I can tell from the tea lights, from their website and social media accounts, the information that they received was during a Ouija board session during an overall investigation of Mitten Hall. I believe they were asked to just come in there. They were very young. I believe they were the first group to kind of form on campus. This was back, I believe, in 2010 or so. Like, it was, it was shortly before the interview in 2011 and subsequently the investigation of Bin Hall. And I believe they were just asked to just check it out. Mitten Hall is located on Broad Street, and it is pretty old, and it looks very much older than I think it is. But it's very, like, gothic-inspired. It looks kind of like a church. I don't think it is, but it looks that feel like it's very stonework, very heavy. It is very intimidating in a sense. But... From what I can tell, this is the only contact that people have had with this spirit by the name of Liz. Now, it's understandable, maybe this is something, again, they used a Ouija board, so I don't know how credible this is. I want to believe them because there is at least, like, I believe there was about 10 members or so. So, unless they're all in cahoots and lying about this uh, or just believing this, I don't know. We'll see. I, I'll try to potentially reach out to them. I know a few of their social media accounts. I could maybe reach out. But again, 
this was back in 2011 or so. I very highly doubt that they have some of this information still, especially since I said they, they disbanded. They they formed into a new group slash club slash like side activity on campus, which is what I'm going to talk about next, many years ago. So none of those members are there. None of the members currently in this group are in any relation to the people that had tea lights. So We'll see if that second investigation could yield anything. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but again, like I said, uh, this is a little segue into the next thing with the group that formed after Tea Lights, uh, known as Hoot Paranormal. Very clever <laughs> from Temple Owls. Uh, and it's the university's own paranormal investigation group. So they technically rebranded into being a full-on just paranormal investigation group instead of just kind of being like a society of people interested I am technically a member, and I should say that the club is actually significantly big. I believe at the highest point during meetings that I've seen, about 30 people or so? I think at the most, maybe 40 during good days. And they meet every Thursday. They have individual topics to talk about. People will do like presentations. They'll do demonstrations and PowerPoints and stuff like that on different topics, such as like sleep paralysis, EVP investigations, uh, different paranormal creatures, such as demons. Someone did a really interesting thing on uh, the djinn because she was, she. it's from her roots and her family's like culture. So she gave a much more in-depth insight than anyone else in the club could really give. And it's very interesting because people can just go up and talk and then we have like a discussion. We just, we're only there for about an hour or so, but we also have investigations. And this investigation is actually from the very early days of Hoot Paranormal. I was not involved with this in any way. I was not even a glimmer in Temple's eyes at this point. Um... But the building I'm talking about, I do know of. I've been in there several times, and it does feel a little creepy. I would say it's probably one of the more disruptive buildings on campus, in my mind. Just, like, based off of, like, pure feeling. This is actually the Temple Performing Arts Center. Now, this is, again, located on Broad Street. And the Hoot Paranormal Group was actually requested to investigate the building by a production manager located within the building itself. The group was called in after workers within the building reported strange occurrences after hours and was hoping that Hoot Paranormal may illuminate some answers to their questions. The biggest thing that they were experiencing involved the elevator located back in the left stage area. The production manager who reached out to them, and I'm not going to say his name because they obscured his name in the article, so he just wanted to keep him to himself the production manager like uh just backtracking here losing my place in my notes production manager who reached out to them was was actually a pastor and he believed that he had a good relation with and what he believes to be the presence of russell conwell himself within the performing arts building russell conwell was actually a pastor himself during his time and he actually held church services in the basement chapel of what is now the performing arts center so it makes some sense as to why he might be lingering around and uh, again this is in the basement and a lot of the activity actually involves the elevator again on the stage area that goes down to that location itself the manager details that the elevator is haunted and will open and close on its own they've had mechanics come in and look over it and they've determined there there is nothing wrong mechanically with the elevator itself so that's very interesting just keep that in mind because uh the hoop paranormal group actually figured out a way i don't know how they did this but there is actually video 
online that I will uh, I will potentially link down uh, so that you guys could check it out. The group figured out a way to ask the elevator doors to open and close on their own, but nothing happened. <laughs> so they brought the manager down to see if the elevator would work on him instead. So this is what I believe they're doing in the video, because the video is very short. And it's kind of like cut out of context. But I actually have talked to the people who were on the investigation because they were still in the group when I came in, like many years later. This is not during that time. But uh, they actually were saying like, yeah, we had to like bring him down there. He was the one who kind of asked. So what you're seeing in the video is like the second or third attempt, not the original attempt that they had. Where are we? Okay. The, the Again, the manager. So the manager, they brought the manager down. And uh, sure enough, the elevator doors in the basement swung open and stayed open. No one pressed the button, no one was upstairs, no one was in the elevator. But the elevator doors opened wide up and they just stayed open. You know how like elevator doors kind of have like a set time that they'll eventually close? These just remained open and I've seen the elevator. It's not like a very old model, so it's not like a manual door or anything. It, it's it's new, It's it's a relatively new model. And from that point on, with further investigations, if one were to ask the elevator and talk to Russell Conwell himself, asking, Mr. Conwell, can you help us go upstairs? Then apparently, the elevator doors will come down from wherever, whatever floor they're on and head straight downstairs to meet whoever asked for assistance. You can actually find the video, uh, oh, I already mentioned this earlier, but uh, you can find the video of the paranormal group waiting downstairs for the elevator to come to, come to them. And they're all just waiting there. They're they're not really near the wall. They're kind of back a bit. And they're just waiting there. They're waiting. And then the door pings and it opens up and there's no one inside. And then they just all kind of like funnel in and they just kind of <laughs> they just kind of take the ride up. It's 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 really goofy, but uh it is kind of cool. Oh, I actually have it right here. If you if the link doesn't work, you guys can search on YouTube. Elevator door opens by itself at T P A C. Type that into the title. It is a video posted by Gail Viver. So if you want to find that on your own, you can look on there. So if you are, you know, you can determine it on your own, whether or not this is an odd occurrence or phenomenon, or if it potentially has some just, you know, casual roots in mechanical failures or malfunctions, that sort of stuff. Just this is more so for you to determine because again, this is all kind of word of mouth, and the video itself is somewhat out of context. So my little description is just kind of to help you understand how it's there, because again, it's very short. I believe it's about like 20, 30 seconds long. It's not very long. But yeah, that 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 was like the main thing that this group found on campus. They've had investigations elsewhere, but they this is what they had on campus. Uh, and again, a little disclaimer that the Hoop Paranormal Group is a paranormal club on campus and it investigates, or it has been investigating, my apologies, for seven years or so and they were formed back in 2011-2012 academic year. So from what I can tell, that is all there really is on Temple campus. Now again, other very tragic events have happened there. Many students have taken their life, a lot of violence in the area, people have died. Again, this campus has been around since like the the 1880s, so you know, people have died there and around campus. And campus has slowly expanded outwards. So we've taken in more locations that may have potentially had tragedies in and of themselves. But from what I can tell, there aren't really that many ghost stories there. The campus is very old, and in some sense there is very creepy, but it is very modern in a way. 
the campus continues to just strive to be like a symbol with each passing decade and with that a lot of the buildings are new a lot of the buildings have been torn down so a lot of potential stories very much like a uh, peabody hall may not be there for example right now we have a a new library going up that took the place of a building that was previously there so if there were any stories or, or rumors within that building itself it's not there anymore there's going to be a brand new library that might have no relation at all and if there are any spirits within the location they might not be there anymore but this was just me trying to go over some of the fun little stories that temple has through the decades there might be more honestly i did as much research as i could and uh some of the links that i actually went on to were temple news news.temple.edu the tab and uh personal hearsay were some of like the big ones that i was able to kind of take information from but besides a lot of links like they, they don't have that many stories so if you guys have any if you are previous uh, temple alumni or students that are currently there definitely reach out to me i would love to hear any of the stories that you guys have or any like weird occurrences or just like even just like weird bizarre stuff because uh, again campus is huge i believe there's about forty thousand uh students currently going there now so there have been so many people that have come in and out of this this university that i'm sure there are countless stories that we could talk about but if you want to reach out to me there sorry this is a very new format for me so i have to get used to this uh, if you want to reach out to me it is realm of unknown at gmail.com you can also find me on twitter with a uh, realm of unknown just that's it all one word uh and as of right now that's the only place you can find me oh wait no you have i have a uh my apologies i actually have an instagram Okay, so I actually forgot about this. I actually do have an Instagram uh, called Realm of Unknown as well. It's all one word, all lowercase. And again, Realm of Unknown on Twitter as well. That actually, again, I forgot, is uppercase R, uppercase O, and uppercase U. But if you just type in lowercase, it should pop up. There's only one Realm of Unknown at symbol. And again, it's Realm of Unknown at uh, gmail.com. If you want to reach out to me about your stories or you have any information about Temple University or you want me to talk about something different, uh, let me know. I love hearing back from you guys. Again, I had a YouTube channel that had this type of discussion and formatting and I loved hearing back from people. I love people talking about being like, oh, I went there or, oh, I had so many weird things there like, or this happened to my family, this happened to me, like that sort of stuff. It's always so much fun to listen and just read over people's individual stories because i feel like they're more genuine in a way but that's it really uh so i'm just gonna wrap this up i'm recording a few episodes for like a big dump and as of right now you can find me on soundcloud anchor uh and i'm gonna try to get these up on youtube as well and i believe breaker as well for uh anyone who has mobile devices i'm gonna try to get these up and going on uh itunes and potentially google play i don't know that's a whole process it's podcasting it's hard but i will figure out how to do that and once i do you guys will be the first to know so until then i will be signing off remember to stay spooky your brain needs support and new ollie brainy chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health made with scientifically backed ingredients like thai ginger l-theanine and caffeine Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.